Welcome to Eye to Eye, the podcast of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists. My name is Sunil Mamtora, and I will be your host. Today, I'm speaking with Marina Roizenblatt from Sao Paulo in Brazil, and we're going to be talking about the topic of the use of performance-enhancing drugs in ophthalmic surgery, and specifically Marina's publication in JAMA Ophthalmology, entitled The Association of Weight-Adjusted Caffeine and Beta-Blocker Use with Ophthalmology Fellow Performance During Simulated Vitreoretinal Microsurgery. Marina, Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your paper, which I really enjoyed reading. To start with, could you tell the listeners a bit about your paper? Sure. So first of all, thank you, Sanil, for inviting me for this podcast. Well, the main idea behind the study was to analyze potentially modifiable exposures that could help the novice vitro retina surgeons to improve their surgical performance so that we chose various weight-adjusted doses of caffeine and propanolol and studied their association with the simulated surgical performance of the VR fellows using the IC surgical simulator platform. And in addition, we decided to analyze a potential interaction between those two drugs, since they are two potentially opposing factors, and to access if there was any neutralizing effect of taking propanolol just after taking caffeine. So, regarding the study protocol, a fixed sequence of surgical simulation tasks uh, was repeated after the mask ingestion of placebo, caffeine, or propanolol pills for two days of analysis, and then we, like, took the conclusions and analyzed the performance and saw the interaction between drugs. That's really interesting. And how many participants did you have in your study? Yeah, we actually had a small sample size. So we just had 15 fellows, vitro retina fellows, which were surgeons with, with less than two years of surgical experience. And yeah, I believe that this is actually a limitation of our study. So for future study, we should have more people being part of the protocol. Sure. I think you mentioned just a second ago that you're using the IC surgical simulator. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the UK, the IC surgical simulator is very common. And actually, I think in all regions in the UK, all new trainees have to have completed the modules on the IC simulator before doing surgery on patients. How common is the usage of the IC simulator in Brazil? So yeah, we are doing just like the same in Brazil. It's becoming uh, more and more common since there are previous studies showing that there is, if you have an improvement in your performance on the IC simulator or any other kind of simulator, you maybe have a better surgical performance in the OR, but still uh, we don't have data showing that there is a specific correlation in between a better performance in the simulator and a clinically significant difference in the OR. But yeah, it is a good strategy and we are using all around Brazil right now. So in your study, you chose to use propranolol. Uh, why did you choose propranolol rather than another beta blocker such as bisoprolol? Mm-hmm. This is a good question. Actually, propranolol is the most frequently used medication among the beta blockers class of drugs. So this is the reason why we chose for propranolol. But something new about our study is that usually people use a fixed dose of propranolol, usually 10 or 40 milligrams uh, of propanolol and in our study we decided to weight adjust the dose so considering a person weighing 70 kilos we uh, 
use the weight adjusted dose of 0.2 and 0.6 milligrams per kilo of propanolol to be in accordance with those fixed doses of 10 and 40 milligrams. Hmm. How did you manage to administer those medications? Because I can imagine some of those doses might be 11 milligrams or 6 milligrams or, or whatever. And the tablets come in 10 milligram, is that right? So you, did you have to cut all the tablets then? Yeah, this is a good question. So we manipulated all the pills and the pills, they had a very small dose, dose of the medication. So they had like five milligrams of propanolol and they were all identical to the caffeine and placebo pills. So this is a way that we found to make the study single blind. And this is how we were able to adjust the dose by, by each participant's weight. One thing that I've just thought of is that in clinical practice, we're often anxious about prescribing beta blockers uh, because of our fear of patients with cardiorespiratory morbidity, such as asthma or uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, did you screen participants for any history such as asthma? Yes, yeah, so we were also worried about this topic, as you said. So uh, we excluded actually all participants that had a previously diagnosed systemic medical condition, including, of course, asthma or any cardiac issue. And we also performed an ECG before starting the study and we asked for all participants to take a single oral dose of 0.6 milligrams per kilo of propanolol to check for any adverse reaction for the medication. And this was all done before starting the protocol. So now the most interesting part of the discussion is really, Marina, what were the results of your study? Okay, so let's go to the results. What we found was that compared to a low-dose propanolol, a low dose of caffeine was associated with a worse surgical score, a higher tremor rate, a longer intraocular trajectory, and an increased test completion time. And we also saw that there was a potentially neutralizing effect of taking propanolol just after caffeine, but the surgical performance remained inferior compared to low-dose propanolol alone. So in conclusion, we saw that propanolol alone was associated with an improved simulated surgical performance compared to caffeine alone and the combination of caffeine with propanolol. And were your results statistically significant? Yeah, so we saw a statistically significant difference in between low-dose caffeine and low-dose propanolol, but we were not able to detect a, a difference between the baseline and any of those two drugs ingestion. Maybe this is because a small sample size. We need more people to, to see this. Sure. And did you observe a difference at all between the high-dose propanolol and the low-dose propanolol? Mm -hmm. So this is a good question. We did not observe a difference in between low and high dose propanolol. However, both were different from low dose caffeine ingestion. And the difference between high dose propanolol versus low dose caffeine was greater than low dose propanolol versus low dose caffeine, as represented by the p-values available in the supplement file of our paper which means that maybe there really is a difference between low and high-dose propanolol, but we were unable to detect this difference in our study, and the significance of this finding might require another research with a larger sample size, as I said before. I think your paper is you know, very interesting because you've found some really objective uh, results here which demonstrate improved surgical performance from the use of propranolol. 
Uh, are you planning any further studies to investigate any other aspects of this study? Uh, I truly believe that studying not only pharmacologic interventions, but also environmental variables that can potentially help microsurgeons to obtain a better surgical performance represents a promising field for future studies. So the answer is yes. Our research team got very excited about the positive feedback we received from the scientific community after our recent publication in JAMA Ophthalmology. And we are now conducting new studies, adding more variables in this equation and having more people with different levels of surgical experience. However, we need to pause for a while due to the pandemic, but we are planning to come back to our research protocol pretty soon. That's a real shame. You know, taking a slight detour, I hope you don't mind, but I was curious uh, on behalf of the listeners, how has the coronavirus pandemic affected you in Brazil? So unfortunately, we have a lot of cases here in Brazil because it's a continental country. So we are just performing urgent cases. We are not doing elective, elective cases anymore in terms of surgery. And in clinic, we are uh, also just seeing uh, less patients. So the amount of patients we used to see before is not the same. We are having like a long time in between the appointments to avoid a lot of people together, the agglomeration. And in terms of research, for instance, I had to stop my protocol, but we are now planning to restart it pretty soon. So th there was an impact in all uh, the fields and uh, surgical, clinical and the research field in Brazil. Mm. Well, I'm really sorry to hear about that, Marina, but hopefully in the not too distant future, things can start to go back to normal. So I hope everything does go back to normal for you as soon as possible. Sure, yeah. It's all, all already coming back to normal, so yeah, <laughs> but thank you. Uh -huh. So going back to the topic at hand, do you think there is an ethical dilemma with regards to using propranolol or other performance-enhancing drugs? No, I don't think there is any issue, and I'll tell you why. So first, uh, if there was any contraindication for using this kind of drug, we, we didn't ask for the people to, to use propanolol. We excluded anyone which had asthma or cardiac conditions. And as far as you don't have any adverse effect and you can potentially improve your surgical performance using a low dose of a specific medication, uh, at the end of the day, I think you are just going to help your patients, you know. So this is the main point. Like having a better surgical performance is better for your patients. And of course, we are not going to use any illegal or controvers controversial strategy. But propanolol is a very common used drugs all around in many clinical settings, such as systemic hypertension, the treatment of benign essential uh, Tremor is also based on propanolol. And I think the one thing we have to remember is that our ophthalmic surgery is not a competitive sport, as much as we sometimes feel it might be. Uh, as you say, the main end goal is to give the best outcome to our patients. And if we can do that with something that is relatively innocuous, then that can only be a potentially good thing. How easy is it to get propranolol in Brazil? Mm -hmm. So in Brazil, uh, as well as in the UK and many other countries, you can get propanolol from a pharmacy without seeing a doctor since this is a not control medication. 
so yeah it, it's something it's, it's not hard it's something easy but of course you should be careful about if you have any uh, medical issue and condition that can like be a issue with taking propanolol you should avoid this kind of medication sure that's really interesting and it's interesting that you mentioned the uk as well because i did check this before we recorded the podcast this morning and i did find that in the uk people can buy propanolol over the internet through an online pharmacy and what they have to do is they have to go through a web-based questionnaire which asks them if they have any history of asthma breathing problems uh, allergies or cardiological disease and if you answer no to all of those questions you can actually have propranolol delivered to you without having a prescription from your doctor yeah it's the same in brazil we, we have the same kind of control regarding this kind of medication mm. How common do you think it is for uh, surgeons and ophthalmologists in Brazil or all over the world to use these kind of medications? Yeah, this is a good question. So probably it's underestimated the, the prevalence of the taking this kind of performance enhancing drugs all around the world. And there is a paper published in 2018 from the BMC Medicine Journal in which they say that uh, among surgeons, the prevalence should be at least about 20% of having taken this kind of drug or strategy at least once in their lifetimes. Mm, that's really interesting. 20% seems very high, actually. And you know, from a personal experience, I'm only aware of one colleague who's admitted to using propranolol and admits that it does help with their surgical performance. But I would suppose there is almost some sort of stigma to admitting using medication to help one improve their surgical performance. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is what happened in, in this field. So maybe this number is still underestimated. Mm. With regards to the literature, are you aware of any other studies which have evaluated other drugs or other medications as potential adjuncts to help people improve their surgical performance? Mm -hmm. So, as far as I know, no other medications besides the beta blockers has already been investigated to enhance the specific surgical performance of the intraocular surgery, uh, but there are papers studying other drugs' impact on performance in other surgical fields. So, for instance, modafinil intake is a drug that, uh, previous, that has already been previously studied, and papers show that it couldn't demonstrate an improvement in hand dexterity among general surgeons. And it's worth mentioning that propanolol is not the only drug which has already been studied among the beta blockers class of medications. So timolol, which is a drug which is available for us as ophthalmologists, it's also something that papers show that probably there is a positive overall effect on hand dexterity. And really? Yeah, <laughs> and something I would also like to mention is that usually the papers that study propanolol in the ophthalmological field, they use a, a dose uh, ranging from 10 to 40 milligrams per person. So something new about our study was to weight adjust the dose of propanolol. Okay, of course. Um, that's actually very, very interesting, the point you've just made there, and I'm very curious. You mentioned that there is some literature regarding the use of timolol, to improve surgical performance. So how do ophthalmologists administer the timolol? 
Yeah, so based on the papers I saw, uh, people usually uh, take oral timolog, like belong the, the tongue, like an oral mm. administration of the timolog. Like a sublingual like, administration. Right? Exactly, exactly. Not like uh, as an eye drop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I've got one final question for you, Marina, and I hope I really hope you don't mind me putting you on the spot in this way. But I was wondering, based on the results of this paper and from your own personal experience, have you ever considered or have you even ever taken propranolol or another beta blocker to aid your own surgical performance? So this is a funny question. Uh, I used to sporadically take a low dose propranolol during my vitro retina surgical fellowship before some surgical procedures which I consider more challenging. And this became less frequent as I gained more surgical experience. And although I used to feel like I had an improvement in my hand dexterity at that time, I wasn't sure if that was only a psychological effect or there was a real physiological impact on my performance. So this was one of the reasons that motivated me to conduct this study in order to numerically quantify if there was a real association between propanolol intake and the surgical performance among novice surgeons. And this is not, uh, I think our results uh, are not only for vitreal retina fellows. Uh, they can be used in other ophthalmological fields such as cataract surgery or plastic surgery and so on. Mm. That's really, really interesting. I suppose that comes back to what you were saying before with your interest in doing further research to evaluate whether the use of propranolol or beta blockers has a similar effect in more experienced surgeons compared to novice surgeons. And I could liken it to the fact when we're driving or learning how to drive a car, initially we're very anxious and any change in setting, seat position, type of gearbox, stereo settings might you know, be an adverse effect in terms of our anxiety levels when driving. However, when we're more experienced drivers, we can drive our friends' cars with a totally different kind of gearbox, uh, write a text message whilst we're driving, although I would never do that, of course, and we don't have that same level of anxiety. So perhaps with more experience, uh, the effect of a beta blocker might be less so. Do you think there's a risk of surgeons becoming dependent on beta blockers yeah, this is a good question. I would like just to emphasize something related to the dose of beta blockers we use in our clinical research protocol. So we actually use a very, very low dose of propanolol. Uh, the, the dose we use range from 0.2 to 0.6 milligrams per kilo. And in order to give you a, a perspective of this dose for treating a person weighing 70 kilos, the dose of propanolol to treat benignant essential tremor ranges from point at 1.7 to 3.4 milligrams per kilo or for treating for systemic hypertension ranges from uh, 0.8 to 9.1 milligrams per kilo. So I think there is very low chance for you to get dependent, especially because in our protocol, we use a very low dose of propanolol. And just one final point again, I know I've said before that there was a final question, but just one very final question now is what advice would you have for a surgeon who's listening to this podcast, either a trainer who's got, who feels like they have a very anxious trainee or for a trainee who feels that they're quite anxious themselves, what advice would you have for them regarding the use of propranolol? Sure. 
even though our study has shown that propanolol has the potential to improve surgical performance, we also demonstrated in our protocol that caffeine was associated with a worse performance, especially among those who are not daily coffee drinkers. So I would not recommend the novice surgeons to consume caffeine prior to their operating theater session. Also, if a surgeon does choose to try propanolol for a surgical purpose, please be sure to be taking the right dose of the medication, which is a very low dose as compared to other clinical settings, and ensure that there are no medical contraindications, and of course, talk to your own doctor if you are not sure about it. But most importantly to mention is that if you feel that you have anxiety related to surgery, there are lots of mechanisms and strategies that can be tried to help, including meditation or even discussing with your supervisor and, of course, not only the pharmacological solutions. Well, Marina, that's been extremely interesting. I would like to encourage all the listeners to read your paper in full because it's really interesting, and that's in JAMA Ophthalmology. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to get involved, talk about your work, or have any feedback, send us a message at communications at rcops.ac.uk.